Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. The book of Numbers. Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, I think Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, <laughs> part of the Pentateuch. Anybody going through a personal daily Bible study of Numbers? Numbers chapter 21. This is a very interesting maybe intriguing, different passage of Scripture. If I have a favorite, it's one of my favorite Old Testament passages, but speaks volumes about a lot that's been sung about this morning. The love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the provisions of God, sin. The whole gospel is in Numbers 21. If you were here last week, We uh, looked at a couple of guys that were walking down the road, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, um, met up with them and taught them all things about himself from Genesis to Malachi. And um, I didn't mention it last week, but it came to my mind as I was preparing. I'm sure he probably reminded them of Numbers 21, and um, this book is all about him. History is his story. And in Numbers 21, we see a picture of Jesus right in this obscure, I've never seen um, Lifeway produce a Bible study walking through Numbers, but maybe they have. Numbers 21. If you want to stand as we honor God's Word, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. I do appreciate you being here this morning. For you Christians who are members of Central, you should be here, so you're not special. But those of you visiting, appreciate you being here, and um, hope somebody smiled at you, shook your hand, told you they were happy you were here. Hope you enjoy being with us. Uh, We're kind of old-fashioned, traditionalist, I guess you could say, when it comes to the Word of God. Um, People think we're a big, fancy church. There's just a few fancy people here. I can point them out to you if you want me to. But um, we appreciate you being here this morning and worship with us. I, I, I didn't mention this Wednesday, Barry. I should have told you. And it's, I'm just reminded. And I'm easily distracted, aren't I? <laughs> and there is a cob slash spider web that is going from that center speaker right there. And now I can see it all the way to the top. Between that and the strobe light we have right there, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me this morning. I thought Barry did something different. Where'd he go? I thought you did something different. When you were singing, getting into it, the light started flashing. I was like, yeah, elevation. <laughs> waiting on smoke to come out and lasers. It just went out. Oh, there it is. Uh, now some of you are going to be looking at it too. So between, I got it. Between that, I can't fix that. It's just higher now. Can anybody see what I'm doing here? I looked, 
I hope the sound's online. They were like, what is this guy doing? It's going that way now. Can anybody see it? Can you see it? Nobody can see it? You saw it earlier. There we go. There was another crazy one in the crowd. At least that's out of my mind. If I can keep that out, we're good. Numbers 21, 1 through 9. And when King Arad, or Arad, or Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell, any of you got old, old southern folks in your family say, man, I heard tell that such and such. That's where that comes from. They grew up on King James. Heard tell, he heard tell that Israel came by the way of spies. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel, listen to what they did. They vowed a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people, these Canaanites into my hand, then we will, I will utterly destroy their cities. God, if you do this, we'll do this. And the Lord hearkened. He listened to their voice. He heard them and he delivered up the Canaanites and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Time out real quick, as we'll save some minutes later. Verse, in chapter 20, uh, Moses sent people uh, to the king and said, hey, can we pass through your land? We're on our way to Canaan, and can we pass through your land? And he said, absolutely not. You come through here, we'll kill you. Uh, this will save some time if you want to read that. And they begged again, said, if we take anything, we'll pay you back. He said, no, if you come through here, we'll kill you. So they had to go a different way. And this is exactly what's happening here. So they didn't go the short way. They didn't go the easier way. They didn't go the more efficient way. But I'll throw this in. It's kind of preachy. They went God's way because God's providence and he's sovereign. And God wasn't taken by surprise that they couldn't go this way. And so now they're having to go a different way, and the soul of the people became much discouraged. The same people, by the way, who just made a vow to God, and the same people who God had just answered. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. And here's what they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, lie, neither there's any water, lie, and our soul loatheth, hates this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that he take away these serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. He was a good leader. Often he did that when he probably wanted or maybe should have told him, you're getting what you deserve. But he prayed for them. It's a good lesson there for some of us. And the Lord said to Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. So Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole. The word there is banner. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld or looked at this brass serpent on the pole, he would live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we believe it as absolute truth. And we understand that this isn't some fairy tale that Moses wrote to entertain us. This really happened. 
And it is a perfect picture of you, your love, your grace, your provision of sin, and what sin does. But it also provides a picture of hope, salvation, the answer to this world's sin. May we appreciate it as believers. And once again, if there's a lost person here today, still living in their sin, separated from you, maybe today would be the day they see there is an answer, there is a remedy for the sin in this world, and it's found in your son, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Several titles we could come up with. This is pretty obvious. There is a remedy. It's one of my favorite songs we sing here. It would have been great if we would have sung it today, but we didn't. But there is a remedy for the sin problem in the world. As I said, this passage is an interesting passage of Scripture. Don't know that there's anything quite like it in Scripture. If you're an Old Testament scholar or been in church uh, any amount of time and heard some Old Testament passages, you know that Israel finds themselves in um, somewhat of a cycle. They'll, um, they're following God, they love God, then they get upset, and then they complain, and then they get punished, and then they repent, and they say, we love you again, God, and then he's on the, you know, it's over and over and over. This is not the first time this has happened, not even in Numbers, we see it in Exodus as well. They're on their way to the promised land. God has promised them this land. This is important to understand. God doesn't break his promises. God is not a God who makes promises and then says, sorry, I changed my mind. God has promised his people to lead them into a land of plenty, a land that he has blessed. Uh, quick time out for perspective. Israel never took all the land that God had promised them. Come to modern day, if you were to take a map of the land that God had promised them. This is great. I hope this does something for you. It reminds me that God is sovereign. God is God. God is creator. He knows everything about his creation. Well, that's obvious. We're at a Baptist church. That's obvious. But sometimes we need to be reminded that God really does know what he's talking about. And so before the world was created as we know it, um, God promised Israel, if you follow me, I will give you this land, and here's the land, go take it. It's a lot of messages within a message here. He didn't say it would be easy to take the land, but he did promise the land. He didn't say you would have a, a royal caravan leading you through and everybody would just fall over and say, oh, come take our land. It's not how life works. But God had promised them, if you take the land, I'll be faithful, and here's the land. If you look at a map today, we don't have one here, and I couldn't do it exactly the way it is. If you would look at the land that God had promised Israel, if they would have taken that land, it is the most resourceful, wealthy land on the planet. All the oil that we spend a lot of fun money talking about would belong to Israel, pretty much, over there. The stuff we're buying from terrorists, we could be buying from one of our greatest allies. And they would be the wealthiest on the planet. Now, they're not, and that doesn't change history, 
but it does remind us that God knows what he's talking about. And so God had promised them this land. They're on their way. They're following Moses at this point. There's been a couple deaths, significant deaths, for those of you who want to look at the context there in chapter 20. Verse 1 tells us that this Canaanite king heard that Israel came from the spies. You remember the spies that were sent in to spy the land to see if they could overtake it. This is important to understand in this journey. The text we're in now, where this Canaanite king realizes who they are, he realizes they're part of the, they're from the group that sent spies in. Historically, this was 38 years later. This is 38 years after the spies have been in to look at Canaan. What does that mean? It's a whole different group of people. This is a new generation of people. There's been a generation to die off, and there's a new generation coming in. Oh, it's a perfect picture of what's going on in our life today and in the church. There's a new generation. Hey, just pave the path, keep going, because there's another generation behind you that will benefit from God's promises, so stay to it, stay with it. It's a whole different generation coming through. He hears, hey, that's the group that's coming in from the spies from 40 years ago. Let's get them. And so he goes after them. It reminds us in this 38 years and the different generation that the Christian life talked about this Wednesday is not a sprint, it's a marathon. When God over and over speaks of running the race with endurance and patience, it tells us that this life is not just about you and your lifetime, it's about the generations to come behind you. Uh, as I uh, get older, and um, I said this Wednesday, I'll, I'll be 48 years old Friday, oh, and I feel ancient. And some of you are like, oh, I remember, I wish I was 48 again. But then some of you in here remember when I was like eight, and so you're like, oh my goodness, I'm a dinosaur. That's how you feel. So I know how I feel. But the older I get and the more I do what I do, and especially with children, and look at your children and your grandchildren, I'm reminded it's not just about us. Let's never be so selfish to forget that we're preparing a way for the next generation. And what will that, what will that look like in the church? What will that look like in your community, in your city, your town, in your country? if we continue in the direction we're in. Uh, maybe we can't change the country. I think we could if we'd all get together and do it a little more, but we can make sure that there's a church that's available for the next generation to come to, to hear a clear, simple uh, proclamation of the true gospel message. And so it's not just about today, it's about tomorrow, and let's never be so selfish as to think it's only about today. This king, because he finds out who they are, he makes a preemptive strike against them. He actually takes them prisoners. We see that in verse 1. In verse 2, Israel gets a little um, spiritual. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is bad. God, if you'll help us out, we'll, um, we'll destroy them all. I think this is an interesting little verse 2. Uh, God does all the hard work, and they just come in and clean up the mess. That's kind of what happens. But they say, God, you know, we, we're, we're in a mess. We're in a bind. We're in a fix, so to speak. If you'll help us by giving us the Canaanite people, we'll destroy the land, which is part of the promises and what God expected. God heard them, answered them, delivered the Canaanites to them, and they did their part. 
But notice verse 4 is a little transitional. Did I just yodel when I said notice? <laughs> a little pollen going on. I was like, no, notice. Man. <clears throat> notice verse 4. Where there's a transition. You know you live in the south in this area when they say uh, tomorrow there's a, it's going to be 80 degrees and a chance of up to one to three inches of pollen. And then you're like, are we going to be, is school going to be delayed? It's going to be slick. And uh, if you would have heard us this morning, um, probably some people laid out of church that felt like we did this morning. The lost people. They're just kidding. I'm telling you, I just, I, something's, something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. How about pollen? How about pollen or COVID? Verse 3, God heard Israel. He delivers them. Verse 4, oh, isn't it crazy how quickly they forget the promises and the provision of God? Does this not sound familiar to many of us? Verse 4, their whole thought process, and their conversation changes. God, if you'll help us out, we'll do this. God hears them, helps them out, does this. Now, it's probably more than just a verse later. It may be a few minutes later. It may be in a couple days later. It may have been a year later, probably not a year. But between verse 3 and 4, their whole countenance changes. And listen to what they say. As they journeyed this new way, the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. So I've got three short points here. And the first point we want to look at is Israel's problem. They had a lot of problems. And I don't have time to discuss all of their problems. But their first problem was they got discouraged. What's interesting is why they got discouraged. God had just met their needs. He had just given them a victory. He had done what they asked him to do. And now they're discouraged. The word they're discouraged is it's not just as simple as our discouraged. By the way, we doesn't take a whole lot to get people discouraged. No, I'll get in that line and say, yeah, I can get discouraged real quick. But um, this word discouraged is a word, it's a harvest word. It's a farming word for to cut down, like to cut down and harvest. They're, they're not just discouraged. They're, they're cut down. They're really upset. They're, it's kind of a picture of falling down, to cut down. They're like, kind of like a kid. They really get what they want when they just flop on the floor, right? It's enough to beg, it's enough to cry, but if they really want it, they flop on the floor. Is that a thing anymore? Flop on the floor? We were, uh, we were in Cherokee, North Carolina, gambling one time. Just kidding. When I was a kid, before the, what was he saying? Before the, what kind of church is it? Before the casinos existed. And um, by the way, the, the Cherokee people are profiting greatly today because of those casinos. So they thank you. They send a note to say thank you for helping them out. And so, but anyway, um, is he serious? We were in Cherokee, we were in the store, we used to camp out at Cherokee on the top of the mountain with the Indians. Sorry, the Native Americans, I probably, nobody's offended. We literally did. You could see them jumping in the water. We were at this really, it was before the days of wealth and prosperity. 
and uh, we were in the tents. And, but I remember my little brother, we were in this store and I can remember vividly, it was this, um, there were some plastic goofy toys that were on one of those little racks that spin around in the middle of the aisle. I don't know why this is so vivid to me, but he's crying. He usually got everything he wanted, which is probably why he cried that way. I hope he's watching this. And um, he didn't get what he wanted and over and over. And I remember him just flopping in the floor like a fish. Wow, fell on the floor, so, ah, screaming. He got something when we got in the car that he didn't ask for. <laughs> and like laid over the middle of the seat and it just a lot of, a lot of arms were flying. It was more than one person doing it. So he didn't get what he wanted and he got more than he asked for. But he was discouraged. He is cut off. He fell over. And this is where they're at. They're, so maybe they didn't flop in the floor and like a, flip, a fish, but the point is they didn't just say, man, this is a tough road. They were done. It's like, I'm finished with this. I can't believe we're having to do this. They had just one verse before, won a victory, because they promised God, if you do this, we'll do this. And now, they're flopping in the floor. It reminds me, uh, and it should remind us that God's ways are not always our ways. And sometimes this road, this way, is difficult. The, the word their way actually is, is like a path. It's a road. It's uh, figuratively, it's like the course of life. That's what God is saying is he understands, he knows the course, but it might not always be exactly the way we wanted. Anybody ever found themselves walking this course of life in the Christian walk? It's like, man, this is a little tougher than I thought it was going to be. Or if God would have just let me do this, because the, God, do you not know math that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line? But God says, no, but you need to go this way, and then this way, and then this way. And it's, it's not always our way, but it's always the right way when it's God's way. Uh, I think about the way, the course of life that we're on as a Christian, and, and understand that the, the gate is narrow. The path is narrow that leads to salvation, that leads to everlasting life. And that's a more difficult way than the broad path. And if you're walking on the narrow path, trying to maintain this narrow way, you understand it's a little more difficult than being able to just come and go as you please on the broad path. They're following God, they don't like the way, and now they're discouraged. More importantly, and more seriously, they weren't just discouraged, they became disobedient. In verse 5, they spoke against God. That's a nice way of saying they were sinning. They were, they were disobedient to God. They began to speak against God and against Moses. Now, if I was a mean preacher, I'd throw in that against Moses, but I'm going to eliminate altogether. They not only spoke against God, they spoke against God's man, God's, God's person who was delivering the message, God's leader. But since I'm nice, I won't talk about that, and I'm not going to hold myself to the same level as Moses. Because when people act the way they act and say, pray for me, it's hard for me to do that, if I'm going to be quite honest. Somebody recently, I think Justin, when he was preaching, said something that he shouldn't have said. It's hard to hate people when you're praying for them. Didn't you say so? Where'd he go? Did he leave again? He's been out of this sanctuary more times. Has he got a kid with him? 
Okay, he's got an excuse, good. Didn't he say something like that last week? It's hard to be mad at somebody or hate somebody when you're praying for them. That sounded sweet. He saw that in a Hallmark card, I'm sure. <laughs> but unlike Moses, it's difficult for me to do that. But they're against Moses. They're against God. This speaks of their disobedience. It's as if they were saying, this is, this is what disobedience looks like. It was as if they were saying, God doesn't know what he's talking about. They're, they're discouraged. And now they're speaking against God. God, do you know how tough this road is? Do you know how dangerous this road is? When we speak against God, when we speak against God's word, the idea is not just verbal, it's in our actions. Think about it. They're discouraged. Think about the action. If you don't, maybe that's the only thing you'll remember, flopping around because they didn't get what they wanted. This is disobedience. This is sin. This is saying, God, um, this is the opposite of, God, you told me to do it. I'm doing it. I'm walking. I don't like it, but I'm doing it. Maybe you don't say it out loud that you don't like it. Think about the initial sin in the Garden of Eden. God says, of all the trees you can eat of except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, is that what God really said? Basically, is that really what God meant? He starts to question God. He gets them to question God. And then they end up eating. Actually, she does. And then he follows because he's being nice. <laughs> they eat together. They both sin. And when they're eating, what are they basically doing? They're speaking against God. They're saying God must not know what he's talking about. They have to be saying that because if they believed in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die, they wouldn't have done it. So they're questioning God, they're speaking against God, and they are sinning. They are doing something God said not to do. But by actually partaking in this, I believe, pomegranate, they are saying, they are speaking against God's Word. They're doing against God's Word. Some of you say, does he really think it's a pomegranate? I think so. Why? No idea. It's God's fruit. Is that what God really said? And then they eat saying, can't be true. God doesn't know what he's talking about. And I believe this. I believe after they ate of a few seeds of the pomegranate, they thought, look, we didn't die. Maybe they thought that, I don't know, but we didn't die. Of course, God didn't say immediately you're going to die. He's talking about spiritual death and ultimately physical death, but they questioned God. They sinned. Sin was the problem. Disobedience is sin. And here in this text, just like in Genesis, we see there are consequences for man's sin. And the day they ate, yeah, they surely were going to die. They were separated from God. They were cast out of the garden. And here in Numbers chapter 21, when they, this is interesting, God didn't punish them for getting discouraged. God punished them for sinning. There has always been and always will be punishment for sin. And the Sunday school version and the Awana and the RAs and GAs version 
What is sin? It's doing anything God says not to do and not doing anything God says to do. And there will always be and have always been consequences for sin. And in Numbers 21, they're discouraged. What, by the way, what was the answer for their discouragement? No, Moses prayed for them. But then they spoke against God, spoke against Moses. They sinned, and now there are consequences. Verse 6 says that they, there were fiery serpents. I told the deacons this morning what I was going to preach, and somebody asked me if we were going to have snakes here today. And um, the answer is no, because they're the one thing in life that I am the most scared of, terrified of. I got some good snake stories too, but now's not the time, because we're making good time. And the Lord sent fiery serpents, poisonous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, this is not necessarily in the text, but it's in common sense, and I've read this. God had already provided for them. By the way, he had already provided water out of a rock, and he provided bread. We'll talk about that a little more in a second. But I was reading behind someone that said, God had already provided because the place they were in was a desert, and there's an actual, a special kind of snake, a viper there, makes it sound even worse. Why would we think that vipers just suddenly showed up? They were already there. So God had provided for them by not allowing them to be bitten to this point, potentially. So the provision was already there. But when they sinned against God, sinned against Moses, Business picked up among the viper crowd. Now, I can understand, if we're, we're going to be honest, why they were discouraged, cut down, if they were walking on a path with vipers. Man, there's so many stories. Yeah. Anyway. Fiery, poisonous snakes. Venomous Snakes. Snakes that will kill you when they bite you. Um, by the way, they don't have to bite me to kill me. <laughs> I can only imagine. It's, it's my worst fear ever. I can't even get away from it. It's my first, if a snake, if a non-poisonous, friendly, one of, the, one of you nuts have in your tank at home, were to act as if he bit me, my heart would explode. I just don't say that. It would just explode. And I would hope it would, because I don't want to be around to see it attached to my arm. Just, you know. It's the worst thought I could ever think of. So these serpents got allowed to start biting them, and it says, and much of the people of Israel died. Everybody who was bitten died. Now, what's interesting to note, and I'll probably forget this later, is the snakes didn't just bite people who were sinning, who were actively, it affected all of them, because sin affects all of us. The Bible tells us, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 12, off and on through Romans, that because of one man's sin, death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Adam and Eve's sin affected the world. And we're all affected by sin and its consequences, which is death, both physical and spiritual death. So we see Israel was discouraged. We see they were disobedient. And, and this is kind of 
supplemental and not maybe as important, but it is an effective sin, we see that they were discontent. In verse 5, the first part, they, they asked God's man, Moses, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Well, it wasn't Moses' idea to start with. It was God's idea to get them to Canaan, to his promised land. He had chosen Moses to lead them, and now they're fussing at Moses. I, we can kind of relate to that sometimes, but that's irrelevant at this point. What I like to think is they suddenly um, got amnesia. They were affected by short-term memory loss. They were affected by what many of us have, if we're honest, is selective memory. I'm not looking in the first row because I have selective memory sometimes. We understand that God has provided for them. They're in the wilderness, they're in the desert, and God provides manna. In chapter 20, they're thirsty, and God tells Moses to strike the rock, and water comes forth. They've had water, they've had bread. They have everything they need. But they ask Moses, why did you bring us up here to die? This is not the first time in chapter 20 they did the same thing. Why did you bring us out here that we should die? Why did you make us come out of Egypt? Because it was better there? To this evil place, they say. And I think about the fact that when we sin, when we are active in sin, and what sin does in the life of an individual, it separates us from God. And when we are separated from God, it makes us forget or neglect the provisions of God. God was leading them to the promised land, not to die in the wilderness. God had just gave, given them victory over this Canaanite king and army, but yet now they're saying, why did you send us out here to die? I think it's important to remember the victories in our Christian life. When Moses uh, and the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, or the Jordan River, well, they crossed the Red Sea too, they were given commands to create monuments to remember so that when the next generation came through and they asked, what is this? That grandma and grandpa could say, this is when God helped us and we set up a memorial, uh, um, a monument to remember that. It's important for us individually. It's important for us as a church. I think it's really important for us as America to remember the victories that God has allowed us uh, to, to enjoy. Have we forgotten what God has done for us? Have we allowed the, the difficulty of the path that we're on to make us quickly forget the blessings of God just last week or last month or last year? Church, I love America, but Americans are spoiled. We are spoiled. We're in a mess. We're in a stinking mess in America, but we're blessed and we're spoiled and we get so um, content that we forget what God has done. And then we gripe and complain about the silliest things ever. That happens 
because of sin. Listen to what they say in the second part of verse 5. There's no bread, lie, you just don't like it. Or you're, or it's just, or you're too good for it. Or you're just tired of it. You do have bread, though. I could dig down right here and we could kind of just meddle a while. God didn't promise to give you Marita. He promised to give you bread. Some of us that grew up on that side of the tracks, we understand bread's bread. Right? I got to have old-fashioned bread. Um, I would... Bologna tastes the same whether it's on old-fashioned marita or food line white bread, right? Some of y'all didn't get that. Like, bologna's bologna. It doesn't make bologna better because it's on a better bread. It's still bologna. A bologna for you people that have never had it before. When you spread potted meat on a slice of bread, it doesn't make the bread any better if it's Merida or AMP brand. They said there's no bread. That's not true. God provided bread. You just don't like it anymore. You got used to it. Is it possible to get used to and get familiar too familiar with the provisions of God? You had nothing. But he gave you sustenance, and he provided for you. Are you just taking advantage of it? Are you getting too good for God's provisions? There's no water. Lie. It just wasn't Dasani or Fiji. It came out of a rock. It had some minerals in it. Lie. There's no bread. Listen to, listen to what sin does. And I'm not trying to add to the context here. Listen to what they say in the second part of verse 5. There's no bread. We hate this bread. Yeah. <laughs> we hate this bread. There's no water. By the way, we hate this bread. What bread? You didn't think you had any. We loathe this light bread. It wasn't like fat-free or low-carb bread. It was, as some say, angel food. It was angel bread. It's like angel food cake because whatever. It's a mouthful of what sin does in the second part of verse 5. It changes our perspective. When we are active in sin and disobedience to God, we forget his blessings, we forget his provisions, we forget his providence, we forget the things he has done for us, we start to complain, and then we complain and we don't even sound like we know what we're talking about. We hate this manna. May we never get to the place to where our words, where our words or our deeds demonstrate that we loathe, that we hate the provisions of God. If we're honest, in the American church, I mean, it's hard for me not to say things sometimes that I want to say when this is going to sound like I'm kind of just going off a tangent, but whatever. 
when we live in a country we live in with our problems, but yet freedom of religion, and we have a church like this, and to be quite honest, some decent churches all around, and to see and to experience people who say they're born-again Christian, but they neglect the things of God like church. Now, whoa, whoa, that's just, that just went, well, you went way off. No, no, and why would they do it? Why do they do it? Now, I'm not, I'm not the old mean guy, so just get that off. I'm the young mean guy sometimes, <laughs> almost young. And if, you're, if your mind starts turning, you're like, well, I mean, they, some people have good reasons. I'm not talking about those people. And you're already making excuses for the devil. Don't get in that mindset. I'm not talking about somebody that's got a broke leg or whatever. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the people that have taken advantage of the provisions of God. They've gotten used to being a Christian. They've gotten, they're coasting through the Christian life and I'm good enough and I'll just bounce around and do what I want to do. And this takes precedence over my, not, not just my church attendance, but my, my life, my dedication to the word of God, my prayer life, my devotional life, my church life. That's the, what I'm talking about. We've been rocked to sleep in America and we've got good churches, comfortable churches on every stinking corner, and we got a handful, uh, we got truckloads of people claiming to be Christian, claiming to be on their way to heaven, but they won't even take an hour out of their week to fellowship with God's people and hear from God's Word. Now, I'm not saying they're lost. It's a good indication that they are. My point is that we've been, we've been cradled and taken advantage of the provisions of God. You sick, stay home. You got COVID, stay home. Probably don'ts, probably allergies, but that's fine, stay home. If we're going to catch something, stay home. I'm not talking about that. And please understand, I'm not talking about people that ought to be at home. It's hard to come in as a pastor a week and two weeks after Easter and not, not be heavy on your heart. Y'all with me? We had people got, somebody took y'all seat two weeks ago. Because we had people show up, whoa, you still alive? Some of you appreciate this, some of you be mad, but I'm trying to make a point. But if you're a, if you're a born again believer and your name's on our church roll, oh, this is gonna, I hope everybody loves me this morning. And the only time we hear from you is when you need a prayer request, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Or you got a need? That's not, that's not what a born-again church member does. If we ain't seen you but twice since January 1st, and then you need something, I wouldn't have the, I wouldn't, I don't have it within me to call somebody and ask them for something. I got a couple friends when they're following their number, oh, they must need something. Right? And you say that, you've got them too. Oh, I heard them from everybody. They must need something. Hey, what do you need? That's, that's how we. <laughs> I mean, churches should have call waiting. So we see the name of that person and we just answer, what do you need? <laughs> oh, well, you still, we just assumed you went over there. 
or over there. We ain't seen you in so long. Oh, did you ask them to help you? Because we heard you've been over there. Oh, they didn't help you. Oh, which one do you want? I had to get it out. That's, a, that's indicative of where we're at in America. To where we're, the church is just another social entity to help me with my problems. That's not what the church is about. Do we do that? Yeah. I, I done messed it all up, got people all, y'all going to call them, tell them what I said. We see Israel's problem, and then we see God's provision. Aren't you grateful that God knew our problem, but he provided for us? There were consequences for sin. The consequences weren't snakes. The consequence was death. The consequence for sin today is still death. The penalty for sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. I know what the second part says. But before we notice their provision, let's look at their acknowledgement. This is important. It's real simple. In verse 7, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. I think he probably had an inclination that they had, but he, they, hey, I think it's important. Let's just throw this out here. I think it's important for sinners to acknowledge they have sinned. Nobody's ever got saved not knowing they need to be saved. Nobody's ever got saved not knowing that the consequences of their sin was death. Not just physical, but spiritual. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. They came to Moses, we have sinned. We spoke against you, we spoke against the Lord. Pray to God to take away these serpents from us. And Moses, being a nice leader, prayed for the people. They understood the consequences of sin. If you're here today and you're lost, you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you know you're not saved. You just hear somebody invited you, or you're just hanging out, maybe you're a church member, and you know deep in your heart that you're not. Once you understand by faith the consequences for your sin, not the one you committed yesterday or the one you committed two weeks ago, but the fact that you were born into sin, born condemned to death, once you understand, once the Holy Spirit of God convicts your heart and shows you that your sin will not just lead to physical death, but eternal separation from God, eternal separation from God, and what Jesus taught about, a place called hell, until that day, You'll never ask. You'll never accept the provision. Once they understood the consequences, they understood their need. Israel acknowledged their sin, and then God answered. 
It's, it's real preachy here. I hope you can appreciate it as a, a believer. And maybe you can, you know, nod your head or do whatever, whatever you need to do spiritually. But aren't you glad that when you acknowledge you were a sinner in need of salvation that God answered? He responded. He provided what no one else could provide. By the way, I, I, got, I, got, I kind of threw a wet blanket on the fire there a second ago. But God provided what no church could ever provide for you. He provided for you what no pastor could ever provide for you. By the way, once people start to understand who the provider of their salvation was, they start to get a little more loyal to the provider. I'll just leave it there. What was his plan? What was his remedy? It was different. Never seen anything like it before in Scripture. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. I've read it. You know it. Put this. He ended up putting a bronze snake on a pole, on a banner. The word there is for banner, so it's high, so everybody could see it. By the way, it's a great picture there. It's not just for a certain group of people. It's for everybody to see. The ones in the back can see. The ones in the front can see. The ones all the way in the uttermost parts of the earth can see. He says, put it on the pole. And tell them if they look to this, when they're bitten, they will live. It wasn't the pole, it wasn't the snake that healed them. It was faith in the provision that God had made that healed them. Moses does what God says. Even though it seems silly. Nothing had ever been done. By the way, this is a real deal. We see in history that this rod with the snake on it existed until King Hezekiah destroyed it. 700 years, 700 AD. Really happened. I think about what the people might have thought. What a silly plan. Can you imagine this? Hundreds of people, thousands of people, snakes biting them, people falling over dead, falling over dead, falling over dead. Oh, no, save us. Do something for us. And pray for us, Moses. I guarantee you what they expected was for the snakes just to go away. Moses, did you not pray? The snakes are still here. And now people are murmuring, Moses' prayer life is just not what it used to be. No. And Moses comes out and says, I prayed, and here's the answer. Once again, never been done before. It's not something that Moses said, you know, this worked in Exodus, I'll do it now. He comes out, and he's got a snake on a pole. The one, the very thing that was killing them is on the pole. Here's the answer to your prayer, people. If you look at this pole, when you're bitten, you will not die. And I think about the year 2022. That's today. I think it's May 1st. Happy May. Sin exists. Consequences for sin exist. People are dying eternally every day because of sin. And God has told us, and he's told me, he's told you to raise up a serpent on a pole. A silly message 
that the Bible says is foolishness to them who don't believe, but to those of us believe it's the power of God and the salvation. It's a silly message to the world, but if they by faith will put their faith and trust in the Jesus on the cross. He told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, hey, lift him up, just as Moses lifted up the snake on the rod in, in Numbers. Jesus told Nicodemus that the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever looks on him shall be saved, right before our really famous verse, John three sixteen. And so, we have a message. Church, believers, we have the remedy. God has given us the antidote. For man's sin. Is it silly? To some, it's foolish. Nevertheless, we must lift it up. So we see that God's answer to their acknowledgement. We understand Israel had a problem. God provided in his provision. And I want us to leave here today as a church being reminded of our purpose. I had no plans on fussing at people for laying out and with stump toe or whatever. But I think it all kind of falls together when we understand the purpose of God's church. You know me, you know my preaching, you know my personality. I think we ought to hang out and have fun. I think part of church is fellowship, don't get me wrong. We ought to like to be with each other. We ought to shake hands and kiss babies and hey, how you doing? And Shoot the breeze. I think that's part of church in Acts chapter 2 is fellowship, hanging out. What other time during the week do you get to hang out with a few hundred of your Christian family? I think we ought to enjoy it. I don't think we ought to walk around like we're stark stiff and too good for each other. That's part of it. I think true believers want to do that. True believers who are growing in grace and knowledge and sanctified daily and growing, they want to be with other people like that. It's a part of it. Does it happen? Do we really hear people? Some of, some of, you, some of you are so spiritual. Do y'all really hear from people only when they're sick? Absolutely. Do you really only hear from people when they can't pay their rent? Absolutely. People really have that audacity? Absolutely. Do you help? Usually. Is it hard? Absolutely. We were, we, hey, we're having fun. We were in staff meeting this week. I see somebody's name on this, on one of our agenda items. I'm like, oh, they still, they're still living? Okay. Um, well, they called and they were going to, I hadn't seen them. Let me rephrase. I haven't seen them at church in a long time. I have seen them. Well, what do we do? It's bad when you're having a staff meeting and somebody has said they're going to do something, but you haven't seen them at church in months and months and months. But they're going to do something. They're supposed to be doing something because they said they were going to do something. And then you have to say, well, what do we do? Um, let them do it. That's what I said. Let them do it. See what happens. Y'all are, oh, really? Who is it? Tell me who. I just want to help. <laughs> the point is, the point is, they could tell anybody at church on Sunday, hey, this is happening this week, and I'm going to do this and this and this and this. Well, great. Thanks. Good to see you. Hey, this is such and such. I know I haven't been there in about six years, but I'm going to be doing this. And, 
And then the staff gets together, what do we do? Do we do it or we let them do it? Hey, they call, let them do it. Let's see what happens. I need more details. Please tell me more details. (laughs) We do a lot of things here at this church. We have a lot of ministries. We do a lot of good things. We do a lot of things for the community. We got children's stuff. We'll do it all. We'll do a lot. Do a lot of missions, a lot of different types of missions. We do missions that's not even gospel missions. We clarify that on our financials. We help organizations. We help people. But we must understand our purpose. And our purpose is related to not just Israel's problem here in this text, but to the world's problem. We have the answer. You don't have to turn on your news more than about two minutes to realize this world is messed up. We, we got some reprieve this week. I know some of you are excited to know that the Biden administration has gathered a group of people together to make sure that everyone tells the truth from now on. So, and they found someone who won liar of the year last year to head up that organization. So we're, we're no more misinformation. It's all good. So we can at least rest on that tonight. But our purpose is to preach the truth, to preach the fact that there is an answer for man's sin. The world must look to him, and we must lift him high. If people come to this church on a Sunday and all they hear is a bunch of stuff going on and never see Jesus lifted high, we failed. If we have an Easter egg thing and they don't see Jesus lifted high, we failed. If we have a wana and the kids don't see Jesus lifted high, we failed. If we have youth ministry and pay people to do work, and they don't see Jesus lifted high, we failed. If we come in here on a Sunday morning, and I ever preach and Jesus isn't lifted high, somebody needs to approach me before I get to my office and say, you failed this morning. Can I do that? Yeah, I probably have. I have to be reminded often when I preach that it's all about him, and that when I come in, I've got to lift him high, because we have the answer. We have the remedy, and there is one for all the mess that's going on in this world. And this, if people look to him by faith, they can be saved. Would you stand? Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.